Welcome to the VBPH Sermon Podcast. This week, we press pause on our normal program schedule to bring you select sermons from the recent Bible conference in Tucson, Arizona, pastored by Harold Warner. We'll return to our normal schedule next week. Until then, may these be an encouragement to you. God bless. Appreciate that. It's always a blessing to be able to preach after uh, they minister. Real quick, where is Frankie? They testify you're on your honeymoon. Show me. Where are you? I miss it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay, wait. There's a reason. Is for 50 plus years I've been receiving a hard time that Mona and I on our honeymoon went with Pastor and Sister Mitchell to a Bible conference in Angeles Temple in Los Angeles. So you and I are soulmates, brother. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Amen. I want you to open in your Bibles tonight to the book of First Peter, the book of First Peter, chapter 2. We'll pick up uh, in just a moment at verse number 9. I do not always uh, preach on the conference theme, but a number of things converged uh, to bring us here tonight. One that has been referenced already is the fact, and there is significance that this is our 50th anniversary as a church congregation, and Mona and I were the first couple sent out of the Prescott Church that uh, was delayed a bit and had to be uh, sent home for redirection. And then we ended up being the third church planted out of our greater fellowship. The other thing that converged in my own mind and thinking was the release just recently And the impact, not only at the box office, but in many, many people's lives of the film, The Jesus Revolution, that celebrated the 50th anniversary of the Jesus People movement. It was something I wanted our whole congregation to understand and get a little sense of. And its importance is that this was the soil that nurtured this church and our fellowship. And 50 years later, we're still doing the same thing still moving forth, advancing the gospel. And this was the movement that raised up and produced 
a generation of leaders across the evangelical world. And this is why right now is a very real transition period in that uh, arena. And so our theme of Jesus people is not a concession to, and it is not me relapsing into nostalgia, but it really lies at the heart, I believe, of the Holy Spirit's call to renew his church today. I have a letter that was sent to me. It originated from Talbot Theological Seminary, and it's called Jesus People Research Project. And it is about uh, a joint project between Biola University's Center for the Study of the Work and Ministry of the Holy Spirit today. Bruce, that is an acronym, C-S-W-M-H-S-T. Between them and Wheaton College's Billy Graham Center, they have partnered together to highlight, to explore the history and the legacy of the Jesus People movement. One of them contacted me, had a fairly lengthy conversation. He realized I was one of those guys that could go on for hours, and uh, he realized he had something on his calendar, and so uh, the conversation (laughs) ceased. But that's all right because I'm going to continue that conversation tonight because there is one comment that really stood out to me in this, and it said, despite its complexity and dynamism, the Jesus people movement is commonly subjected to stereotype and mischaracterization. This is largely because despite its significant impact, the movement remains understudied by scholars and underappreciated by the church. Listen to this. Many of its most central stories remain untold. You want to know why we've been able to fly so wonderfully under the radar for 50 years is because many of its central stories remain untold. And I want to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12 as a context to talk to you for a few moments about Jesus' people, 1 Peter 2, verse 9, reading out of the New Living Translation. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests. 
a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you receive no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. And the rest is important, but I don't need to read it. So let me look at these verses with you and unpack some very simple truths to bless you tonight. That if we are going to be the Jesus people of today, that means that we are possessors of a radical identity. Now, if you pay attention, you know that this is ground zero of today's cultural focus and debate. Identity language is the premier battleground in our society. The whole idea of self-identification, that human beings have the capacity to define the terms of their existence by defining their personal identity. Now, not only is that blatantly false, but it is the height of narcissism. But listen to today's slogans. And you know, sometimes you can learn a lot about a generation's philosophy by just listening to pop culture slogans uh, that are literally everywhere. Know yourself. You be you. Who else are you going to be? <laughs> be true to yourself. Follow your heart. That's great advice. The heart that is deceitful and desperately wicked. Follow your heart. Find yourself. A mirror could help. Find the deepest or the authentic you. And then, of course, express yourself. And I could go into lots of aspects of that, but that isn't really my aim tonight. But to tell you that all of this points to a much deeper need of the human heart. And when I begin to think about Jesus' people, I was drawn to this text, verse 10. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. There is a radical new identity which lies at the very heart of the new covenant. 
Jeremiah 31, 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. He's talking about an identity, not one that we construct for ourselves, but one that we receive six times in that verse. God says, I will, I will. Your true identity is who God says you are. You will never discover who you are by looking inside yourself, by listening to what others say. But the Lord gets the first word because he's the one who made you. He gets the daily word because you and I live continually before his face. And he gets the last word because one day all of us are going to give an account uh, to him, and yesterday's verse, I bow my knee to the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. That identity is who God says you are. And that's why the most significant question here is not so much who am I, but whose am I? Yeah. Ephesians 1.13, and now you Gentiles have heard also the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people, sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. I remember Pastor Mitchell years ago preaching on this verse using the illustration from Ephesus, how that they would cut down trees, uh, they would be involved in logging, uh, and to transport all these trees, uh, they would have to send them down river, hundreds and hundreds of logs. Uh, how do you know uh, which and whose uh, this belongs to? And every one of those logs were sealed uh, by their owner so that when they arrived uh, downstream, it was very easy to point out and to discover uh, the identity uh, of each of these. And the Bible says, in salvation, God has identified us as his own, uh, sealing us with the Holy Spirit of promise. 
You know, I really did grow up as a Christian where it was Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the noontime, and Jesus when the sun went down. Pastor Scribner preached tonight. Now, he can scare some people sometimes because they don't know where he's coming from, but it isn't uncommon for you to say hello to Rob and him with a very loud voice to say, Jesus! And then if he's really excited, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You think, what's wrong with him? Nothing. Nothing at all. He's just talking about the radical identity that is his in Christ. And this will affect how you guide and how you lead as a child of God and especially as a pastor. Hebrews 6 or 13, 6 through 8, the text on the flyer. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Remember your leaders who have taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now let me just break that down. There are four rapid takeaways from that verse. One is it reminds me I am not the answer man. I am not the source to all of people's problems, but the Lord is my helper. And if I'm going to help people, I better put them into contact with him. The Lord who is my helper. Because if you as a pastor think that somehow you are the source, you're in big trouble, and so are the people that you pastor. <laughs> Takeaway number two, remember your leaders who have taught you the word of God. Because the question is always, what does God say? Teaching people how to think biblically. See, if you confuse your words with the word of God, people are not going to prosper who are under your ministry. I know some who think they are synonymous, but I do read my Bible. Thirdly, he says a consistent I didn't say perfect, but a consistent example to follow. Follow me, Paul said, as I follow Christ. How often have young pastors in times of crisis or stress 
one of the things that they reference off, they will ask, what would Pastor Warner do? I don't know how many times, even after he has gone to be with Jesus, I kind of almost reached over to pick up my phone to call Pastor Mitchell about a situation or something I'm inspired about. A consistent example whose faith follow. And then all of a sudden, verse 8, and it, to me at least, it seems to come out of left field, remember... Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's like, where did that come from? But I believe he's saying, remember always, always to keep the focus of your life and your ministry on Jesus Christ. And if that isn't deep enough for you, that's all right. But there is a radical identity. Secondly, Jesus' people are recipients of an incredible gift. Now, I am grateful that the factory settings of our lives can be installed and reinstalled. Verse 10 once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. It's talking about an indescribable gift. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Now they are in the same family. We use them sometimes interchangeably, grace and mercy. But linguistically, they do differ somewhat in that grace is God's remedy for sin, while mercy is his remedy for the consequences of sin. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. One of our champions who's gone to be with the Lord, Ernie Martinez, there was such a blessing, especially at conference time for so, so many years. Whenever you would talk to Ernie and say hello and you would ask him, how are you doing? He would say, and with him, it resonated as being, you know, genuine. But he would always respond, better than I deserve. That's mercy. That is someone in touch with God's mercy. And for Jesus' people, mercy is the turning point of our lives. 
Once you had received no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. A couple of weeks back, this was horrible timing and a horrible experience, is my computer was hacked. And I won't go into all the details, but some nefarious characters had remote access over my computer, uh, some accounts, and uh, the outcome of it was uh, feeling horribly defiled and then feeling not a little stupid because everything I had remonstrated others for, I committed myself, but it was so smooth, I won't go into it all. And that whole computer had to be scrubbed, and thank God for who I call my digital armor bearer, Dave Fish, who came over almost immediately, and the entire computer had to be scrubbed, brought down to its very basics, and he fortunately had the code that he entered into restoring that computer to its factory settings to like the day it was actually taken out of the box. And I couldn't help but think that you and I sitting here tonight need to appreciate more and more and more God's incredible mercy. Because it is something we never move beyond, and Jesus' people are recipients of this incredible gift. Psalms 103.8, the Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve, for his mercy towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He wants us to think about the heights of God's incredible mercy. One great illustration involves the mercy seat in the tabernacle that was in the holiest of holies. And in that sacred place was the Ark of the Covenant uh, which basically was a wooden box covered inside and out with pure gold. And inside of that was the two tablets of 
the Ten Commandments uh, that make you and I aware of how sinful we are, of how we all fall short. And one feature interesting is that that ark was made to specific and exact dimensions. It was 45 inches long and 27 inches wide. That's specific. But there is no dimension given for its height. Because on top of that box was the mercy seat where the high priest on the day of atonement sprinkled blood not only for his sins, but for the sins of all of the people, exact dimensions to height and to width, but no dimension concerning its height because it is the mercy seat and as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great are his mercies to those who fear him. And I'll just make a statement and for the sake of time pass on. But you can do your own study that there is a connection in the New Testament between receiving mercy and laboring hard for God. See, there are a lot of workers and laborers, pastors and pastors' wives. I may not have a counseling solution for you. But I know a God whose mercy reaches under the heavens. And if nothing else, tonight, Lord, let there be an impartation of your mercy on every worker, on every laborer, on every pastor and pastor's wife, because Jesus' people have a 24-7 access to the throne of grace where it says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. You know, I don't have a, word of knowledge or a word of wisdom, but in a conference body this size, there is no question that there are lots of people who you need his mercy tonight. You need his mercy for your life, for your ministry, for your church, for your family, for your children. And if we come confidently there, we will receive his mercy. I could do my best 
Marty Carnegie impersonation, Lord have mercy. <laughs> but it's not as good if it was coming from his lips. But follow with me. Jesus people, finally, are shareholders in the Father's enterprise. And there's such a clear connection here tonight. Went back to Matthew 4 where Jesus calls his first disciples and it says one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water and they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. And very simple to point out that there is such a connection between one, follow me, that Jesus' people have a radical new identity in Christ and the consequence of that is that we are invited to and enlisted in the Father's business. I will show you how to fish for people. That identity and function go hand in hand. They're not opposites. I know preachers and writers and such that want to kind of... Uh, Hit them at odds with each other. No, they are different sides of the same coin. Identity, follow me, function. I will teach you how and I will show you how to fish for people. And there's such a natural and beautiful outflow in our text in verse 9. For you are not like that. For you are a chosen people, you are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, remember, identity function. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. The King James Version uses the word praises, that you would show forth the praises of him, a word that literally means excellencies. I would make known his excellencies, the excellency of his love, of his salvation, of his holiness, his perfections, and his Goodness uh, can be put on display. Two things I'll leave you with. One, this represents you and I, shareholders in the Father's enterprise. It presents grounds to recognize a great opportunity for today. I think every pastor, almost every leader today, 
struggles with how do I connect with young people? You know, for the last 15 years, about millennials and Generation X and how they're bailing from churches and deconstructing their faith, etc. But I was very curious. From an article that appeared first in the Wall Street Journal, talking about Generation Z. I don't know who makes these up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but how they are manifesting an increased interest in matters of faith. The columnist. Claire Ansbury wrote these words. After three years of loss and confusion, including the disruption of the pandemic, young people are seeing the need for something bigger than themselves. In many ways, she wrote, it aged young Americans and they are now turning to the same comfort previous generations have turned to during tragedies for healing and for comfort. And Barner Research, one of them, actually called this the open generation. Now, I know you can find an article to make whatever point you want to make. But I just want to say that I believe we're living at a critical moment to reach what is the loneliest, the most agnostic, and the most distraught generation on record. And that opportunity is right in front of us as we gather here tonight that God is not true with this generation. And if you have been paying attention and you looked at the conference uh, brochure or schedule, who are those names? Well, there are a whole lot of young pastors uh, who I decided, wait a minute. If we don't give them a chance to preach and they have to wait until all of us die. <laughs> then where are the leaders? Where are the conference preachers going to come from? Because I'll share a little secret with you. I may not spend all of next year traveling the world, uh, but maybe some of these uh, will become tall poppies uh, that God can raise up and you'd be surprised what God can do in and through their lives. The final thing is it gives us a grounds for rededicating our lives to Jesus.
like I said, this is really deep. You know, there's something about life, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit's conviction that brings about these kind of moments in life. It's not that, you know, we're backslidden or we've grown cold in our soul, but just simply we sense the need and the desire to renew my love and my labor for the Lord Jesus Christ. Last Sunday night, June 4th, I think, Ed, I think we had 16 people, 13, 14 baptized in water. But the best was saved for last. Because the last person to be baptized that night was Esther Miguel. Now, Esther got saved in this church in 1977. She has the original baptismal certificate that I signed March 20th, 1977. The ink has faded. I said, Esther, I would be honored. Bring that to me. I'll re-sign it. I'll try to find indelible ink. I can't promise I'll slit a vein and use blood, but, you know, I'll sign it. It was, well, why is she being baptized? Did she go back to her old unspeakable ways? Not at all. She's been a fixture. Every pastor here knows who Esther is. But she testified, and it was a little hard when you're standing in a baptismal tank to do math in your head. And she use the number 40 years, but it's actually 46 years. And over the years, Esther has never been married, but she is definitely married to Jesus. And she testified how over the years she's seen married couples that have been married 30 or 40 or 50 years, renew their wedding vows. And she said to herself, and I believe God was urging her, the Holy Spirit was urging her, that I, when that amount of time has gone by, I want to rededicate myself to the Lord Jesus. And I would say hers was a devotional baptism. Why do I say all that? Because this letter about studying the history and the legacy of the Jesus movement ended with a sentence. I debated whether I was going to use it in my introduction or in the closing. And the last sentence 
said, love you, dear brothers and sisters. You are the Jesus people of today. I'm not just talking about history or nostalgia tonight. Yes, 50 years, you know, it demands a, at least a recognition, but it is a memorial, not a monument. But I bring it up because it is the soil that birthed this congregation, our greater fellowship. But the truth is, you are the Jesus people of today. And until you recognize that, uh, you're just playing church. Uh, I am a Jesus person. Uh, that means I possess a radical identity. It means I am the recipient of an incredible gift of God's mercy. And it means I am a shareholder in the Father's enterprise to go and to make disciples of every nation. And the prayer that says, Lord, I want all there is of me to belong to all there is of you so that all there is of you might fully possess and empower all there is of me. You are the Jesus people of today. I want you to bow your heads uh, across this uh, auditorium. This is by no means exhaustive. I'm sure there are other texts that speak to the qualities the uniqueness of Jesus' people. In the same way that the book of Acts said that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch, that wasn't a theological term. It actually was a term, a, der a, a derogatory term. It was one of contempt. Oh, those are those Christ people. Those people who belong to that Christ. And isn't it interesting that the very visitation of God that gave birth to our fellowship is we were called and still love the appellation Jesus people. The early church, when they were called all those Christ people, they wore it as a badge of honor. When we were referred to as Jesus freaks, it was a badge of honor. Yes, I am. Whose freak are you? That's what it means to follow Jesus. 
I'm going to be a Jesus person. Teenager, young adult, grandparent. Before we do anything else, maybe you're sitting here right now and you're not and never have been born again. Or maybe one time you knew the Lord. We heard reports. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless. God bless.